0: Even as the world around Wick expands and the death count spikes exponentially, Chapter 4 remembers well that the body keeps the score. Reeves makes the weariness of this long-anguished assassin more palpable than ever. That is a blurb. Isaac Feldberg of Above the Line. Don't know his work, but that's a great review of John Wick Chapter 4, which I can't wait to talk to you all about. That's our new movie this week. As far as our old movie is concerned, 20th anniversary of Mystic River. That's right. More Clint Eastwood for you after dialing up Million Dollar Baby a couple weeks ago. And our wildcard, the great James Andrew Miller, author of the HBO book Tinderbox. He wrote an outstanding column on Puck, P-U-C-K. That's right. Puck.news about succession. He literally ranked every single episode Episode of Succession, and it was amazing. So I had to have Jim back on. We talked about that. Talked about the new movie Air, uh, which he just saw. Ben Affleck, Matt Damon's film, which he says is tremendous. And uh, talked to little Eagles as well. Jim's a big Eagles guy. He was there at the Super Bowl with his son. So I made him laugh, made him cry. It was all that good stuff. Uh, as always, we appreciate all of you listening. Please go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, and review. Lots of good feedback to last week's episode and lids in particular to show there's no grudge about my son. A kid's Raptors hat the other day. He wanted one. Thirty-one ninety-nine. Didn't go back to the same store though. Cody I'm holding a grudge against the manager but the story I have no issue with I'm telling you as much as I
1: hear about are our, our you reviewing these movies people love story time with Adnet. maybe that's a spinoff podcast next
0: all right, maybe we'll be a spin-off podcast next. The good news is I'm gonna have a new show here on MLB Network. We're doing the six, me and Harold Reynolds, uh, two rejects from baseball tonight and from ESPN. Lou Bariselli does a great job with MLB Network PR. He's sending it out to everybody, right? You know, Andrew Martian's posting it, Richard Deitch. He said, Who can I send this to from the Lebutarge show? I said, What? He goes, you know, just for the PR. And I go, I don't really know who the PR person would be. And I was like, he goes, Mike's email, I go, if you send this to Mike Ryan, they're gonna bring it up on the show, and they'll make fun of me, which I'm totally fine with, but then they're gonna bring up MLB Network, oh it's Propaganda machine. Oh, Rob and Rob Manfred and Dan Levitard, their storied history. Samson will come off the top rope. I go, you don't want that. So he sent it to you. And you just texted back, congrats. I'm like, great. So Tony knows what, my, what I'm doing. That's all <laughs> I need to know. Hey, I got a new show on MLB tonight. I'm on at six.
1: Now, the, the Sports Center with Jamel Hill and Michael Smith, I believe, was called The Six. How do we feel about, you know, a little something-something here? Excellent
0: point. So Harold wanted to call it The Six. And somebody, correctly, I think it was Will Folger, who was a former ESPN guy, great guy, our coordinating producer, was like, no, no, ESPN had The Six. He's like, well, whatever. He's like, no, but they could sue us. They have copyright. Harold's like, they're not going to sue us. Like, well, what do you mean? So informally, we're calling it the six, but you're right. As far as actual branding, it is not that. It is MLB Tonight. I think we're calling MLB Tonight first pitch. Hmm. But, yeah, it can't actually be known as the six. Have you ever um, thrown
1: out a first pitch, random? I haven't. Would love to. Me too, dude. I, if you're out yeah. there listening to Cinephile, invite us to throw out a first pitch. I've I've kind of been told when Billy and I did the Marlins game a few weeks ago, I was kind of given uh, by the the Kyle Seeloff, the play-by-play guy, radio guy for the Marlins. He kind of told me he'd get it done. He's like, it might be a noon game on a Thursday when all the camps are here. He's like, but I'm going to get you a first pitch. So I've kind of been promised that I'm going to do it this year for the Marlins, but it's just an ultimate goal of mine. I'm going top of the bump, and I'm going nice little 71-mile-an-hour fastball for you.
0: But as we've said before, you're an underrated athlete, so I think you would do well on that first pitch. Mm -hmm. And as you said, you go top of the bump. Like, you wouldn't be— I'm not calling you checking chicken you the front of the mound. A lot of people go, go front of the mound. You're like, no, no, I'm going, Mm-mm. I'm going.
1: I'm going up there. Billy, Billy went up there, low and away. Stan would have swung. Still a decent pitch.
0: <laughs> as long as you don't bounce it, dude, you're fine. As always say, aim high. Like, it's better yep. to go high, high strike, rather than bounce it, and you're embarrassed and ridiculed forever. Um I also wanted to mention, it is now Ramadan. For those who are unaware, me, Amin al-Hassan, many other Muslims out there, we're fasting right now from sunrise to sunset. So, literally an hour before sunrise, no food, no water, no hanky-panky. Not that we're getting a lot of afternoon delights here in the Virk household. No backbiting, <laughs> no profanity, etc. So... The reason I mention this. How hungry is I saw right this. Oh my God, I'm starving. <laughs> and I, I bring up two good Ramadan stories for you. You'll enjoy. Mike and Mike. I'm filling in for Golic. It's me and Greeny. They used to always get smoothies delivered to the desk. 6.45 a.m. So the smoothie comes. Greeny's drinking his. He looks at me. He's like, I'm like, oh, I'm good right now. I'm like, oh, I don't want to bring religion to the workplace. I'm going to make it awkward. But yeah. I'm like, I'll oh, have it after. So I take it home that night. The next day. Linda Cohn, who I love, is filling in for me. And Greedy brings it up. He says something like, oh yeah, is great. Linda goes, oh, I love him, he's awesome. He's like, yeah, he's he kind of an odd guy. He's like, what do you mean? He goes, because we have smoothies out here, and he wouldn't drink a smoothie. Like, <laughs> he, he left it there for three hours, he went home. It's just the weirdest thing. I'm like, yeah. Brings it up again a second time. There's a guy named Kareem, who's in the control room. Also Muslim, not practicing, but also Muslim. He tells Lee and the producer, he goes, hey, Adnan's fasting. It's Ramadan. Like, are you kidding? Like, sunrise to sunset, bro. He's fasting. Like, are you going to make fun of the guy on this? And I think I was like, oh my God. So the commercial break, he told, hey, Greedy. Like, yells at him. He's like, yeah. He's like, hey, don't, uh, don't make fun of Adnan anymore. He's like, what, well, what? That was good stuff. That was funny. He's like, it's Ramadan. Like, he's fasting. It's like, for religious reasons. He said, the look on Greedy's face is like, oh my God. Like, hand in the face. And you know who loved that stir more than anybody else? Mike oh. <laughs> <laughs> I told Oh, he's like, yeah, Greedy had an egg on his face.
1: Now, I'm not going to ask you, If you break fast, because I know you to be a decent human. I want to know the closest, though, you've come to breaking, like where it's just someone's eating around you. There's a little snack. You're alone in a car. It's like, oh, no one would know but me.
0: You're reading my mind, Cody. So the second best story happened probably a year in the ESPN. Will Tomlinson is a great guy, producer. He is crushing this cheeseburger. And it's like probably 530. Again, Ramadan (laughs) goes every year 10 days earlier. Follows the lunar calendar like Jews. So let's suppose I don't know what month it was, but it was hot. Like I started, It was probably like May or June. It's, like it's hot. I'm thirsty. And, it's, and he's just crushing his cheese. <laughs> Anish Shroff, Hindu, but very worldly, is aware that it's Ramadan. He knows I'm fasting. But Will is obviously oblivious. Crushing it. And one time, he literally, and like, I'm not kidding. Ketchup on one side, mayo on the other. And he starts talking. He goes, hey, I just straight you up. Know, and Anish just unloads. Like, are you kidding, dude? He's like, this guy's eating since like, sunrise. Are you nuts? And the look on Will's face, it was like a kid caught with like the hand of the cookie drug. I, I have no idea. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. I'm like, it's, it's okay. I'm like, just, I'm, I'm going to stab you if you keep eating with your mouth full. Like, I don't like it normally, but yeah.
1: So are you like gorging in the morning before sunrise?
0: Here's the thing. I don't know if you've ever dieted on intermittent fasting. <laughs> well, don't, don't insult me like that. No, no. I've what dieted. Saying, but, you know what it's like. But, but like, who's hungry? If, like, I'm up at 5 a.m. Right. And it's like not a bowl of cereal. Right. Exactly. You're not hungry. Bowl of cereal banana maybe a yogurt like you're trying do your prayers go back to bed get the kids to school you start their day whatever and, the, and when the hunger pangs come because it's not throughout the day you know what it's like we're not always hungry but when it hits like like right now actually i'm pretty hungry like two o'clock i'm like oh my god i'm like starving like, like, like i'm working with harold reynolds this thursday opening day if he walks out there like a hoagie i'm like we're gonna be like this is gonna be a bad like scene.
1: you're made there's some big grumblings right like when i don't eat yes. my stomach starts like yeah i don't know it's
0: grumbling right it's now it's like and, eating and you your know, insides
1: is what it's doing <laughs>
0: Well, the first year me and Rags were together, it was – Rags said to me, because we're going to call this the sundown scarf down. He's like, as soon as your fast is open, he goes, once it hits sunset, he goes, we're going to just shoot you eat. I go, I don't, I don't know. I'm going to look like I'm a pig. Like, why would it – but they would shoot me. I go, this looks horrible. Like, I'm just stuffing my mouth. But even then, again, with intermittent fasting, if you don't – if you fast all day, like, your, your stomach kind of shrinks, right? Like, yeah. trust me, I eat. Like, I'm going to town. But it's like – I'm not like Garfield eating lasagna. I'll eat at 7.15 – have a snack again at 10, you go back to it, repeat process. Again, it's 30 straight days. Here's the crazy thing. My buddy Chris Collins said there's a couple of Muslim players, I think, on Yukon. We're gonna get to the final four in a sec. Chris Cody taking a victory lap <laughs> at FAU right now. You're gonna be next to the next to the bench. I saw the clip. Um, there's two Muslims on, on the Yukon team, and I, I think for most people, again, if you're a sports fan, you remember Hakeem Olajuwon back in like 94. It's like, oh, devout Muslim. He's fasting. I'm like, what? Like the Rockets were in the NBA finals. Yeah. This guy hasn't eaten or drank since I'm like, yep, exactly. Like, this is what's happening. So Again, it goes back to me, like as as tired as I may be, as hungry as I may be, and my kids know it. They're like, oh man, Ramadan's come, like, oh they go what? They go, Mom and Dad get very cranky, <laughs> get very hangry. I go, yeah, because you're good in the morning, but like around four or five, you guys both get like snippy. I'm like, Well, yeah, you guys aren't listening and we're starving. What do we for?" Me? But it makes me realize, Cody, imagine I was actually doing like anything physical. Again, I'm sitting here talking to you and I'm hungry. I'm a construction go work, worker. And right. Right, construction, imagine grinding it out there in, like, Saudi Arabia. This construction, we're just sweating in the heat. I can't even imagine. I don't even know how these guys Although do it. Although, Akeem
1: is, like, it's not much worse than a full basketball game. <laughs> that's wild, dude. Bro,
0: it, it is wild to me. It's wild. But, anyways, it is what it is.
1: Do you lose weight in this time?
0: No, and here's another misconception. You would think, we're like, oh, dude, you're definitely going to drop some pounds. I go, no, because you're eating a little bit in the morning, and then you're really eating a lot at night, and then you're going to bed. Yeah. Like, that's the worst time to eat, right? Intermittent fasting is, what, 12 to eight. Like, no, I'm, I'm eating. Like, I watched Succession last night. And I'm eating. I got a, whole a cheeseburger at <laughs> 10 o'clock at night. Then I'm going to sleep. I'm like, this is terrible. So you don't lose weight. If anything, you might put on a couple of pounds. So you almost have to, you know, wow. refrain from the overeating. So it's like, yeah. Could you imagine so you have to for- not eat and work out. <laughs> I'm fasting for 14 hours, and I may put on weight. So I make sure I have to work out. Like, the way to really do it is if you work out at, like, 6 o'clock. Because then right after that, like, whatever, 7.15, you can eat. But if you're, like... It's just fraught with peril. Um, I don't know where I was going with this, but I did have this to say. Because it's Ramadan, you want to try to be in a good mood, right? I'm trying to be not back not slandering, but I saw this story and I was so incensed, so appalled. Robert Downey Jr. I think is a great actor. We'd all agree with that. I thought you were going to say Samson
1: signing with Metal Ark.
0: No, let's bring that up too then. Okay, congrats to David Samson signing (laughs) with Metal Ark. Apparently some people, like he's already throwing it out there. We're going to be joining forces. Like, wait, he's been crapping on me. He's been criticizing me as the movie guy. And now somehow he's infiltrated Metal Ark. He thinks we should join forces. This is like, I I think he thinks it's like the Avengers. Me and Samson are going to go dominate the Oscars together. Like what do you think about this? Is there is there a natural crossover here? Samson on Sinofia, me and nothing personal? Or is the grudge match going to continue even though he's now in Metal Arc?
1: I could see moments where you guys not necessarily team up, but you know, communicate with each other. I, like there's no there's going to be no permanent merging, but you know, yeah. a big event, an Oscar's thing. Man, you okay. know, hey, it's just going to make you look good, man—more likable, okay. more knowledgeable, right. better looking. I mean, you got it all on him. <laughs> you got it all on David Sampson. So don't let's not don't don't be threatened by this. We're good.
0: He's a good-looking guy in great shape, and he's got a lot more money than me. The money part
1: might be yeah. He's, he's like how much well, money
0: do you think he has? Like he's got like just.
1: I mean, I know he got a a, 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 a few points at least off of that sale to Marlins, so he's doing fine.
0: He's doing fine. Nothing personal. I just wish I had his bank account. Let me go back to Robert Downey Jr. I'm sure he's a great guy. I'm going to retract the great actor. I think he's a great actor. He's a good actor. He's definitely a movie star. Iron Man, great. I love Jimmy Fox's impression of Robert Downey Jr., which is hilarious. Like, just the way his clip delivery, the sarcasm. He's a good actor. I saw this story and go, this is the single worst idea I've ever heard in the history of movies. Robert Downey Jr. apparently is going to remake Vertigo. Vertigo is one of the greatest movies of all time, empirically. You can ask anybody who knows anything about movies. Ask David Sampson right now. Vertigo, I'm like, oh yeah. Hitchcock's most personal film. A film that is on every top ten list, greatest movies of all time. Sight and sound, whatever you want to put out. And this guy wants to remake Vertigo. Like, why? Why are you doing this? It's such a vanity project. It is such an arrogant thing to say. Let me take a perfect movie, a film that is literally perfect, is made by one of the world's greatest directors of all time. I'm going to remake it. And it makes me realize, one day I'm going to be sitting here, doing Cinephile, yelling into the moon. I'll, I'll long have been canceled by Metal Ark, but I'll still be doing a podcast. And someone's going to say, let's remake The Godfather. Like, What? Let's remake Gone with the Wind. Let's redo Citizen Kane. Like, no! Why would you mess with perfection? Nobody's touching the Sistine Chapel. Nobody's worried about the pyramids. Nobody's touching Stonehenge. So why is Robert Downey Jr. saying, I'm going to remake Vertigo? Are you kidding? That's the <laughs> dumbest idea I've heard in a long time. And I've heard a lot of dumb ideas, because recently we talked about the Wild Bunch on the Cinephile, and... Dan Skip Allen messaged me and he goes, you know Mel Gibson's doing a remake? I go, what? He's like, yeah, look it up. And apparently Mel Gibson is attempting a remake of The Wild Bunch, which is the second stupidest idea I've heard in The Wild. By the way, Greg Cody, honest mistake when he thought, Chris said to him, I'm going to do The Wild Bunch because is that the one with Brando? I'm like, what? But The Wild one is a film with Marlon Brando. So in fairness to your dad, he conflated Wild and Brando. It's not The Wild Bunch. Now,
1: I just, while you were talking, texted David Sampson, is Vertigo a top 10 movie of all time? His response. Not for me, but for many others.
0: Yeah, they, okay, so <laughs> Samson knows. That, that's a perfect answer, not for me, but for many others. Right. Samson, I believe, has like a top 100 list that he He updates, does, like and he's always updating it. I, yeah, I don't have one of those. Somebody said to me, they go, do you have I go, I don't have one. I go, why don't I go, I can tell you some of my favorite movies. I probably have a top 10 off the top of my head. But like, I don't know what number 47 is. Samson walks around like a number 40. He knows what number 72 is on his list. How the hell, why would I do that? It, I it, have
1: better things to do. I do <laughs> like the game of like, that number 100, you're always like, is this movie better than this? So it's like... I like the idea of it as an experiment, but it seems like it'd be really difficult to actually do.
0: Oh, my God. I think it's nearly impossible. Like, I love The Untouchables. I have no idea where The Untouchables is in my top 100 movies of all time. I just love the movie. I'll figure it out. Uh, anyways, props to David for doing it. Maybe I should do it at some point. Maybe I'm just lazy. That's why I don't want to do it. But Robert Downey <laughs> Jr., shame on you. I think it's a horrible, horrible idea. Let's dive into some actual movie talk, which is John Wick Chapter 4. Man, guns blazing from Keanu Reeves and Company. Now, I am not a huge John Wick fan per se. Like I like my action movies. Obviously, I like Mad Max Fury Road. I love uh, Face Off. I've talked about Mike Ryan before. You know, my brother obviously loves Terminator 2 and all that kind of stuff. But I'm like, you know, it's it's not necessarily my cup of tea. But John Wick 4, I said, I, I've got to go see this. I, I do a movie podcast. The one thing Skipper asked of me, hey, if it's a major film, you've got to go see it. I'm going to see it. It's Ramadan. It's 1 o'clock IMAX. Not to sound like an old man, but like you can hear the crunching of everyone eating their popcorn. So I'm like, God, I'm hungry. And the guy next to me is like,
1: Oh, in a theater, like, the yeah. smell of popcorn. Oh.
0: Just going to town. I'm like, okay, nice to see you. How you doing? Yeah. Milk duds this guy's eating. I'm like, God, I could. But here's the thing. At sunset, I can get it. So I just have to think of that moment, like, God, I'd love some Milk Duds, but at 7.12 tonight, I'm going to be eating sun. But at the same point, to your point, it is impacting me. And it's an IMAX movie. $16.94. Okay, it's an IMAX. I don't want to really sound like an old man. Cody, it was so loud. When's the last (laughs) time you saw a movie in IMAX? I'm like, holy crap. Like, the first scene, Keanu Reeves is punching, and I'm like, boom, boom, like just... Epic, epic noise. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I need to get earplugs. I'm an old man. It's too loud. Like, just, like, I like loud. I like big. Urgh, I'm into it. But, like, turn it down just a little bit. Very, very loud. But after a while, your ears adjust. I may have suffered some bleeding to my ears. But, dude, it's a heck of a movie. John Wick uncovers a path of defeating the high table. Before he can earn his freedom, Wick must face off against a new enemy with powerful alliances across the globe and forces that turn old friends into foes. One more thing before I get into the movie. I'm sure you, like me, like most of us, not crazy about trailers. Like, I like the concept of a trailer. If it's a movie I love, I love watching the trailer to like Million Dollar Baby. But generally speaking, when I go to a movie, I'm not there for the trailers. I want to watch the movie. So I know people, like, Rosilla will show up purposely at the movie after the trailers have aired. Like, you just time it. You go, oh, it's probably about 10 minutes. Now, it used to be 10 minutes. If a movie started at 1.30, it'd say 10 minutes of trailers, one forty opening credits. It's and gotten crazy. 15 minutes. Right? It's gotten wild. This is now historic. Historic. One fifteen movie. Clifton Commons. Here in New Jersey. You wanna take a guess when the movie actually started? 145. 30 minutes. Bingo. I couldn't believe I'm like, what? Like, first there was the Nicole Kidman crowd. Like, that commercial's still going. Like, I'm back in the theater. I've been here for three years. Like, I've been the guy going the whole time. Nicole Kidman, welcome back to the theaters. Thank you. And the trailers were great. I mean, I can't wait to see Oppenheimer, Christopher Nolan's film, shot on IMAX cameras. I will be watching that on IMAX July 21st. Can't wait. Other trailers look good, but I'm like, I don't, 30 minutes. I'm like, wow. And the movie's two hours. It ended at 424. I was in there over three it's, hours. It's like,
1: not the previews that are the annoying part. It's the Nicole Kidman thing. It's this stupid little AMC roller coaster that I have to ride yes. on that I'm, I'm riding yes. through raisinettes and popcorn. Like, get, give right. me their previews. Give me the yes. movie. I don't need to ride a, a, a VR roller coaster, okay? <laughs> I don't know. if That that literally is from when I was, like, 10. I don't think they've had that in a while, but you remember that roller coaster yeah. you used to ride at the movie oh, theater? Yeah. That's it the sucks.
0: kind of stuff that you don't need. Right. It's the nonsense commercials that annoy me.
1: It's, like, all these, like, local advertisements. Like, I don't care about Marvin Smith's Esquire. Like, just get me to the movie.
0: Furniture sales crap like that. Like, let's go. <laughs> so... The movie, just it's just a banger. I don't know what to tell you. Ken Reeves out of the gate is punching. Lawrence Fishburne walks in. You ready? Let's do this, Mother Effort. Let's go. Bam. John Wick's back, black suit, black tie, the fight coordinator, the choreographers, like I spoke about The Wild Bunch how much, I love that film, and the action done by Sam Peckinpah, the slow motion violence, et cetera. Like, I just can't imagine how many conversations they've had, how many people they've killed. I haven't looked at the numbers. Somebody told me the over-under, I think, was 97 and a half. And I'm like, it's gonna be well over. Like, I think he kills probably 300 people in this movie. Like, it's just, and I'm talking, as you said, 25-minute action sequences. Like, yeah. I'm used to five minutes, and then some dialogue, you know, Hot Dame comes in, whatever. No, this is like 25 minutes he punches a guy kicks a guy kung fu move shoots this guy in the head shoots this guy I'm like it's just it's so elaborate but it's it's beautifully shot Keanu Reeves is obviously an incredible action star. Like he makes it look so realistic. I don't know how many of his own stunts he's doing. Obviously, you're, you're adding in brains blowing and that kind of stuff. But it's incredible action, especially in IMAX. Like if if John Wick is your is your go-to comfort food, you gotta go run to go watch John Wick Four in theaters. I'm giving it three and a half Maple Leafs. The action was slamming. <laughs> a Little loud though. a Little loud. It's a little, a little loud. Yeah, yeah. I will say that. If I, I I I would go see. If you told me right now John Wick Four is playing, you want to go? I'm like, yeah. But I would bring earbuds. I'm like, you know, what? maybe just 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 do a little loud. I'm just, just picturing you just, looking. Up at the thing, like can you turn it down just a yeah, little? Just, just 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 make that slight move, that like kind of just a little bit of an adjustment. But the action's incredibly choreographed. I I I want to look up the budget. I mean, the budget must have just been insane. Like these types of movies, like the Mission Impossible, they're shooting everywhere. Here's a scene in Russia, here's a random scene in Greece. Okay, now we're in some Asian country. We're gonna wind up in Germany. Like it's just like, man, no, Nothing was spared in terms of production of this. Because you know with a film like John McFour, we're going to make half a billion dollars. So if the budget's $200 million, no problem. We're going to double that. We're going to be good. Plus, you've got a terrific supporting cast. I mentioned Fish. I love Ian McShane. Unbelievable in Deadwood. One of my all-time favorite shows. One of my all-time favorite actors. He plays Winston. I saw him last week on Seth Meyers. I love Ian McShane. He's great. The villains are really good. There's one villain. I don't know the actor's name, but I'll watch everything he's in from now on. Purple Suit which I just ordered, by the way. I cannot wear to wear a purple suit on television. I, like, I, love the color pur- I love the color purple. Big in the Joker. I'm like, I can't wait. This guy's wearing a purple suit, gold teeth, bowl haircut, heavy set, like overweight, but also strong, like fat, but fat strong. And there's this scene between John Wick, him, and two other characters. It's hilarious and also amazing the way there's a resolution to it. And like that guy, I-, I can't imagine who else they could have cast in that role. Like we need a villain, full cut, Kind of fat, kind of strong, scary looking, gold teeth, cap, purple suit. Like, that's the guy. Like, that guy is going to nail it. And he was fantastic in the movie. Now, you're saying, why am I not giving it for me, beliefs? I'm going three and a half for this one very reason. One, it is a little long. It's two hours and 45 minutes, if my math is correct. Plus, sometimes you have to stretch credulity so much, it's a little bit ridiculous. Like, John Wick gets punched 20 times in the face. He gets stabbed, and yet. Pause, he's back at it again. I go, you, you have to show me a little bit of, like, even Bruce Willis would get beat up once in a while and die hard and go, okay, I need a second. John Wick is just superhuman. Like, <laughs> there, there's just nothing that can stop this guy. At times, I thought it stretched credulity a little bit. But again, I'm not here for believable sequences. I'm here to be entertained. If you want a premier action film, John Wick 4 is the movie to go. Why is it called Chapter 4 and
1: not just John Wick 4? I don't like this. Like, Chapter 1, Chapter 2, it's like, you're not a book. You're a movie.
0: It's a little look at me, Louie. It which is. I love that it's you guys use like, that expression.
1: It's just like a little like, oh, we got you. We got you, John Wick. It's John Wick 4. It doesn't have to be chapter 4. Like, it's, come on.
0: That's fair. Richard Roper, Chicago, sometimes by that point, even the filmmakers seem to be acknowledging that we're in live action, blood-soaked cartoon territory, and John Wick has become something of a superhero. Gotta get one blurb. By the way, rave reviews. 95% Rotten Tomatoes, 96% audience. So it's not only critics, the audience loves it. James Berardinelli. You've had to find one blurb that got crapping on it. John Wick has lost his mojo. The aspect of this franchise that made it compulsively watchable for the first two installments has degraded during the last two. Come on, James.
1: I saw a clip on the internet, and this is a—I think this is a Keanu Reeves move. It's something he does mm. in almost every movie, where he likes to get videotaped of him helping the crew like move stuff. I saw yeah, everyone video. says it's he's like, a great
0: guy. Here's yeah. jo-
1: here's Keanu Reeves helping the crew lift this set, and it's just like it's like I don't know. I believe he's a good guy, but I feel like it's always Keanu Reeves you see doing this in movies. I- I'm gonna have to look this up. I'm recklessly speculating this, but I'm a little—I'm yeah. on to you, Keanu Reeves. I know that you like this good pr of being the guy that helps the crew so i'm on to you i'm not sure if you're as i'm gonna i wish i could interview this crew because i'm not sure you're as good as you give off
0: you're right though he does have a reputation of being a great guy yeah everyone has said canada reeves super nice guy skeptical that's right i love it chris cody calling out canada reeves (laughs) before we get to mystic river i do want to congratulate you fau and the miami hurricanes in the final four i mean mike ryan just off the level obnoxiousness today no shirt High-fiving you guys. And as Dan Lemeter said to the FAU coach, I mean, the Cody family, FAU royalty. You should, if not on the bench, at least very close to the bench.
1: Maybe even in the game. I'm such a fraud with this FAU team. I haven't watched them play a second before this tournament all season. And yet I will be in Houston wearing FAU stuff this weekend.
0: Wow. UConn probably going to win.
1: UConn but is UConn's guys, the best team of like I think Yukon's the best team left but that's who Miami has to play FAU has to play San Diego State dude how I don't know how we got here this is wild like I, I could not have imagined two weeks ago like if FAU and Miami played three weeks ago on a local station down here it would have gotten nobody watching and now it might be the national championship game
0: yeah, I, someone said to me last night, they go, one of FAU and San Diego State's in the national title game. And I go, that is just mind blowing. <laughs> like, even to get to this point is amazing, but one of those teams is playing for the championship. Like, my, my wife doesn't follow this stuff. The other day she said to me, uh, Is Duke in it? I go, No, nah, they're gone. She's North Carolina? No. Nope. Syracuse? No. Nope. UCLA? No. Nope. Like, those of Michigan? Like, those yeah. are, who's in it? I go, none of those teams. He goes, well who's in it though? Like I would know if I said Yankees, Dodgers, Mets, one of those teams is in it. I go, no, all those teams are gone. We got the Aztecs. We got freaking FAU. This is why Mark Foul March is foul on the prowl. Foul on the Prowl.
1: <laughs> Greg it. Cody line.
0: Uh, we'll get to Jim Miller in just a second, talking about Succession, which premiered last night. Jim wrote a great column, ranking every single Succession episode. Of course, we'll we'll talk about season four, once me and Chris have caught up. I couldn't remember, though, when I texted you. Are you a Succession guy? Not a Succession guy. I couldn't remember. I, I've done
1: one of my famous things where I've watched, like, two episodes of it. But I, I like it, and I'm going to continue it, but I haven't, like, done the full deep dive yet.
0: All right, fair enough. So you're not around to it yet. But let's do a little Mystic River. Have you seen Mystic River before? Yes. Okay, good. I was a Clint Eastwood. You're pretty good. And last week, This Boy's Life. No, you had no idea. Uh, Wag the Dog. No, my buddy Jason Roberts, by the way, loves Wag the Dog. He's like, I'm glad you guys mentioned. Like, oh, my God, kidding? That's a pageant. Um, I had to work on the De Niro accent too. It's more like this. It's more like, okay, hot shot. Hello, ladies. Nice to see you today. Like it's that. It's almost like a Ned Flanders that De Niro's doing. Anyways, at one point you are going to watch This Boy's Life 30th anniversary. Speaking of anniversaries, 20th anniversary of Mystic River. Just dark deep, down, and dirty, but an amazing movie. Dennis Lehane wrote the script. We've had him previously on Cinephile. Um, He did Blackbird, and I remember I asked him about Mystic River. I asked him about that line, is that my daughter in there? When Sean Penn starts freaking out. He said, that actually was in the book. Um, But it's a great script by Dennis Lehane. If you haven't seen it, it's, uh, as I said, a pretty intense movie about child abuse and how one moment kind of impacts these guys' lives. But it's beautifully done by Clint Eastwood, and it's a powerhouse cast. The lives of three men who were childhood friends are shattered when one of has a Family Tragedy. It's directed by Clint Lane, co-wrote the script with Brian Helgeland, and you've got this I was going to say tree of actors, but it's like a quartet of actors. It's like a quintet of actors. It's a sextuplet of actors. Sean Penn's nominated for Best Actor. He plays Jimmy Markham. Kevin Bacon was not nominated. I thought he should have been Sean Devine. Tim Robbins won the Oscar Best Supporting Actor, Dave Boyle. You also get, I totally forgot, Lawrence Fishman's in the movie. He's amazing, playing Whitey Powers always love it when a black guy is named Whitey. That's just amusing to me. Marcia Gay Harden's in the film playing Celeste Boyle. Emmy Rossum. Laura Linney, who's like Lady Macbeth in the final scene. She plays Sean Penn's wife. Marcia Gay Harden plays the wife of Tim Robbins' character. But I love the way it comes out. Like, set very Boston feel. Now... I think we've come to a point now, Cody. I-, I could live the rest of my life without seeing another Boston movie because there's been so many of them. But like '03, there hadn't been a ton of Boston movies. It was always New York, New York, New York. So I'm like, oh, a Boston movie. I'm like, ah, huh, all right, Boston. Like they're doing the accents, okay? They're playing street hockey. I'm like, nice. Guy's a big Bruins fan. One kid's got red hair, Irish freckles. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like at this point, seeing a Boston movie felt kind of fresh. And with Clint directing, three childhood friends playing street hockey. One of the kids gets taken away by a cop slash a priest. Something horrific happens as he's abused. Eventually, he escapes. That's Tim Robbins character and then we fast forwards further. Sean Penn of course playing the father, Emmy Rossum wishes him goodbye, his teenage daughter Next thing you know, she ends up murdered. And Kevin Bacon is now the cop. They were once close. Now they're they're childhood friends, as they say. They're no longer friends. Kevin Bacon has to investigate. And they are led to believe perhaps Tim Robbins was involved because he shows up one day, blood on his hand. His wife's like, where's that from? Oh, this guy attacked me, blah, blah, blah. He's got a very flimsy story. And all of a sudden, the story starts to circulate. But this, to me, is really an actor showcase. I mean, if you think Sean Penn... Isn't that a great actor? You've got to watch Mystic River. I mean, the way he goes through all the different emotions of a grieving father... Uh, he's completely believable, though. It's this like tough guy who's who served time in the can, who's willing to do whatever it takes. He wants vengeance for his daughter. But it, it really is a triumph of casting. Like Bacon is so good as a straight-arrow cop. He's got his own issues with his wife. His marriage is flawed. And Tim Robbins, as I said, Academy Award winner, he's so haunted playing this guy who's a victim of, of child sexual abuse, and it's impacted him his whole life. He's now married. He's got a son, plays baseball with, but he's got his demons. And uh, I just thought the way the story unfolded was just masterfully done. And I wanted to watch because I just watched Million Dollar Baby again, so I watched Mystic River again. This really was Clint Eastwood. Height of his directorial prowess. Very powerful film. I'm sure you haven't seen it in a while, though. This is not like a feel-good movie. People are cranking up Mystic River in a Friday night.
1: No, it's a classic that I've seen a bunch throughout the years. Uh, Kevin Bacon, th- nobody plays that Cop character more. Has he done it in a bunch of movies? Am I thinking yeah. of Wild Things? Was he a cop? And not, not a straight arrow uh, cop, but. Yes,
0: Wild Things, he was a cop, you're yeah. right. Uh, I just uh, like we, always I mean, got him like
1: walking in, investigate. Like he's got the build for like, yeah, I'm here to investigate. I'm here to, yeah. we're going to need to talk to you outside if we could for a few minutes.
0: That movie, by the way, Wild Scene, Denise Richards and <laughs> Neff Campbell and Matt <laughs> Dillon, which.
1: We've done Wild Things, I think, recently. We did it a few months back, I believe.
0: No, no, we've never done Wild Things And stuff. If you want to do Wild Things, we'll do Wild Things sometime. Wait a minute. We Are you sure we didn't? Did, did I
1: just watch, did that did I watch that a few months back just because I wanted to? Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> you just felt like a rewatch of Wild Things. Coming soon to Cinefile, we're definitely getting Wild Things, because trust me, that's a, an entertaining movie. And you're right, Kevin Bacon plays that cop character great. Yeah. But how about Sean Penn? I mean, that's oh, yeah. scene where he finds him his daughter—that That is dead, that honestly is just... when
1: I think of Sean Penn, like this is I think that's what I think of. This role, like for me. It's just great. Just quintessential Sean Penn.
0: That's a good way of putting it. Quintessential Sean Penn. I love this blurb you found. Nev Pierce of BBC.com. It's Pen's heavy-lidded, dead-behind-the-eyes turn that overshadows all, carrying the weight, pain, and misery of the world. And the picture. Jonathan Rosenbaum, Chicago Reader, too depressing to fill audiences with delight, but it does seem to validate questionable attitudes, especially an indifference to the suffering of innocent people and a willingness to shoot first and ask questions later. No kidding. And Bill Miller of uh, Arizona Republic works as a straight-up detective story, and the acting is often breathtaking whole cast is amazing. If you haven't seen Mystic River in a while, it's before I think too many Boston movies became ubiquitous. At that time, it felt fresh, it felt different, and it's just, it's amazing drama carried by powerhouse performances. How about Marsha Gay Harden? Like, she gives up Tim Robbins. Like, it's horrible. Like, she, she tells Sean Penn, he's like, do you think that he killed my daughter? And she starts crying and says, yes. I'm like, oh, my, you served up your husband on a platter, the platter. And when Penn, like, attacks Tim Robbins, he's like, just say you did it. Say you didn't, I'll spare you your life. And he's telling him, "No, I didn't do it Jimmy. I did not kill your daughter." And he didn't. But by, by the way, we see what actually happened. And he still kills the guy, anyways. And Laura Lenny's like, "Hey, don't worry. Like you're, you're the type of man that will always protect your children. You will be that man to protect your family." I'm like, "Oh my God, you sick people!" <laughs> There's Boston for you in a nutshell. Mystic River. For me, believes it is a tremendous film. Also tremendous. Our friend James Andrew Miller. He's next, talking Succession, Air, and a little bit on the Philadelphia Eagles.
1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
2: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSC. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality.
0: Pleasure to bring back one of our good friends here, James Andrew Miller, the best-selling author of so many great books. Live from New York, of course, Tinderbox is the latest one that we talked about. We had Jim on a year and a half ago when the book was published. and I remember it was an incredible book, and Jim had so many great stories for us. My first question, I want to start with Tinderbox, Jim, because I think of you, I think of all things HBO. But you told me at the time, because I said, God, I love Oz. You know how much I love The Sopranos. I said, I want the extra stuff. And you said, Adnan, I, mean, I probably could have gone like 1,300 pages. Can we get the other 300 pages released in the paperback? That's what I want to know right now.
3: I'm trying to figure that out right now. Uh, it's a there's, a there's a lot more, but at some point, you know, you don't want people bringing cranes to the bookstore <laughs> to, to live things. I have
0: 1,278 pages of HBO, but as you said to me, it's the definitive book, a book of record. That's why I appreciate the fact you emptied the tank on this thing.
3: It was a great, great read. Right, thank you.
0: Uh, Let's dive into Succession, which, of course, you illustrated so well in your book, Tinderbox. People can still pick up that book. But you also wrote a terrific column on Puck, P-U-C-K, like the hockey puck, where you went through and you ranked all the best episodes of Succession. And it's so well written. And it's just, I mean, as razor sharp as Jesse Armstrong's writing is, so is your critique of the show. Because oftentimes... You know, you're focusing on the detail. The devil is in the details, I think, when it comes to, to Jesse Armstrong and the writing of the show. And I'm sure everyone watched the uh, the premiere last night. And here's where I want to start with you. There's so many different MVPs of the show. Like, when I watched it, I said, God, Mark Mylod's directing. It's so... Uh, claustrophobic and in your face and I look at the locales and I go, oh, God, these sets are amazing. They're so opulent and lavish. I look at the cast and I go, I can't imagine anyone but Jeremy Strong as Kendall or Kieran Culkin or any of these actors, Brian Cox. But to me it goes back to the writing. Like I'm sitting here thinking about last night's episode and go, the dialogue is so acidic and so acerbic. I don't know how they do it. But to me, Jesse Armstrong is where this entire enterprise begins. You know Casey Blois, how influential he's been, Adam McKay. Who really, Jim, is the MVP of succession?
3: Well, I think it's Jesse. I mean, he obviously created this. He's had an amazing background, and quite frankly, he put together a an eclectic, super smart, super diverse writers' room that I think reflects, uh, you know, a lot of what we see week in and week out on Succession. There's just a lot of different sensibilities in that room, a lot of different backgrounds. And Jesse is, of course, the conductor. I I think that one of the things that people either lose sight of or make too much of is the fact that a lot of Jesse's background is in comedy. And so there's this tendency sometimes for people, I don't know if you found this or not, but for people sometimes to talk about the comedy in the show, either in the foreground or in the background, because that's how definitely he does it and that writer's room does it you know there is so there's so much sardonic wry, rumor uh, humor in the show that you're tempted to just i think naomi fry wrote a piece and said that it's a great sitcom you know basically i to, for me that's maybe a bridge too far but she did a hell of a great job explaining it um but i think that jesse is really you know the son for for this show
0: there's so many great, again I want everyone to check out the column, it's on Puck, P-U-C-K dot news, but this is hysterical But you talked about specifically Greg and Tom's relationship, this was like uh, number 23 you ranked one of the episodes and you said more enjoyable, Greg's awkward charm gets so mouth watering Tom can't help but finally confess I'd castrate you and marry you in a heartbeat glad that's settled, for those <laughs> keeping track of Tom's homoerotic score at home, swallowing his own load and calling it so fucking hot, check not interested in a threesome with Shiv and another woman check most eager for sex to procreate check thinking I to present sex check responding yes i am greg after greg is forced to ask are you trying to seduce me tom check please spin these two off and let tom spoil greg on some picturesque island just make sure there's cell service so he can facetime shib we, it's so well written jim first of all sure. and last it we Thank had you. another great exchange with these two when <laughs> tom is trying to tell greg about the tryst that Greg had that he should go tell Logan about this. I mean, th- their relationship, I don't even know how to exemplify It's so well-crafted.
3: It is. And you know, the funny thing is that it shows how I mean, Matthew McFadden, I don't know for people who saw pride and prejudice and others, he's so talented. And when you realize that he is swinging sometimes 180 degrees between these delicate, heartbreaking moments with Shiv. I mean, cause she just abuses the shit out of him in the first three seasons and says things that are just, <laughs> I mean, I would have been gone in a nanosecond if anybody <laughs> said any of these things and he's hanging around for it. I don't care how much money your old man has. And, uh, and then he's a completely different character and able to be a different human being with, um, with Greg, and so I don't know. I just I thought that this the sexual dynamic between the two of them. <laughs> uh, there was I just it's ridiculous. In fact, the last the last episode of uh, season two when they're on the boat yeah. and uh, you know everybody is they're, they're going to put a head on a spike. Well, it starts with them talking to Shiv and Tom talking about a threesome, and and I'm thinking to myself. I think really, this is going to be a comedy set piece if this happens. That to me is totally contrary to everything we know about Tom's fucked up sexuality. And sure enough, <laughs> the guy weasels out on a threesome. On a, Your wife is giving it to you. And he weaseled out on it. I thought, yep, that, yep. More confirmation. There oh. we go.
0: <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> um, I love the point you made in your column that the Sopranos Found their footing that episode five, college. Famously, Tony and Meadow going looking at colleges. He sees somebody that was a rat, and very much in succession, they found that footing in that episode five and that unforgettable scene where Jeremy Strong, Kendall's racing through the streets, they're trying to overthrow Logan, and you see Kieran Culkin put his arm up, and one of the great lines, Logan says, "You best be smelling your fucking armpit." Like there's no way you're going against me, kid. It took a few episodes to find their footing, but Jim, once they found it, I feel like they haven't looked back. Even you wrote episode season three there was some whispers that hey is this show gone from a plus to b plus it's like wait till the ending succession is one of those shows that really rides that crescendo and by the finale i mean they really know how to stick the landing i can't think of any better than any other show
3: yeah i think that the people who have a problem with succession feel like it doesn't move a lot the narrative doesn't move a lot we're still talking about a lot of the same things but boy oh boy even if we're doing that even if we're running in place so to speak it's exquisite you know, and they do I I think that they really have these incredible endings to all three seasons that even if you were a little frustrated along the way, you're so glad you hung in there because they're also rewarding. Even the penultimate episodes in each season are stellar. And look, I mean, one of the things that's kind of artificial about ranking episodes, I mean, there are 29 episodes before last night. And as soon as I said yes to writing it, I thought, oh, shit, that means that I have to put something as 29. And it's not like, you know, right. it, it's, it's not like 29 was an awful episode and no one knew what they were doing or whatever. Right. Um, you know, so there is an artificial construct just at the beginning, but it, w- it was a lot of fun to do. And I, and I loved hearing from people who, you know, basically had their own thoughts or agreed or whatever. It was, it was, that was, it was a lot of fun.
0: So what your piece does is it illuminates the greatness that's already present and allows you to see different shades to it. For example, you said this is a family even Eugene O'Neill might say suffers a tad too much. Like everybody has this profound pain with them at all times.
3: Yeah. And, you know, the funny thing is, though, that I mean, look, you can't say enough about Brian Cox in this role and Mm -hmm. also about the way that Jesse and the writers room created Logan. Uh, I personally the powerful duality that exists in every single episode and where i really do believe that logan loves his kids in fact i i would argue that given some of the stuff that these kids do i mean early and often a lot of fathers would just vote them off the island i mean like it, it is just ridiculous and i i think that for For Brian Cox to manage that, it it has been brilliant, just brilliant.
0: Yeah, I love when you broke down one of the most famous episodes, Dundee, which is season two, episode eight. As you said, just seeing Brian Cox, who was born in Dundee, Scotland, the splendid sequence of him riding into town demands its place in the succession highlight reel. Speaking of R-E-S-P-E-C-T, Kendall's gumption-filled L-to-the-O-G rap tribute to his father may have listed more visceral and physical reactions, eyes and or ears covered, jaws gaping, stomach growling from an audience than any television scene of recent memory. You made this... <laughs> correlation watching kendall on that stage you became kramer jerking around jerry's apartment upon hearing mary hart's voice a painful yet delightful reminder of the succession is boundless in its ambitions and jeremy strong limitless in his acting acumen jeremy strong as you know has said that was the moment once he saw people dressed up as kendall for halloween in his rap outfit we've now hit the cultural zeitgeist we've now crossed over into the main that is that's
3: above the rim reverse slam dunk i mean if you're if you're writing and particularly in such a crowded content universe as we are now if if you're able to break through to that degree i mean just you know just pour the champagne and toast that's it
2: but it was painful
3: but it was
0: painful yeah cringe inducing as you said you're it's like a car wreck you're covering your mouth you're covering your eyes i mean if they couldn't
3: shoot it then they could just have somebody put their nails on a chalkboard
0: Back to the point about Tom and Shift, because I love this. You mentioned This Is Not For Tears, which is Season 2, Episode 10. You ranked it at number three. Admit it, once you saw Logan's circle-jerk sacrifice shift into high gear, your money was on Kendall taking the fall. Succession is powered by Greek tragedy. And yet, as you point out, the entire hours of tour de force for these actors and the boat Tom's admission to Shiv, I wonder if the sad I'd be without you would be less than the sad I get from being with you, was no doubt repeated in many real-life therapy sessions, and Logan's Mona Lisa expression at out was enough to keep us wondering and talking forever. That that Tom and Shiv scene, Jim, I, I keep thinking about that. That was so beautifully later. Again, for sure, that's so funny and so toxic and takes chances, that was just like, it's just so sad. I, I, just, I felt for Tom so much in that moment. It was so well-constructed.
3: Listen, I, I felt for the people watching it and all of a sudden heard that line and thought, shit, I better go to couples therapy. <laughs> I mean, the, the pain that I feel when I'm with you, I mean, yeah. I mean, that is that is brutal. And if you take that and you combine that with, I think one of the most extraordinary wedding night dialogues, that scenes that we've ever had, where she decides awkward timing after they've already been married to decide to tell them that it's an open marriage, (laughs) but then (laughs) how they wind up talking through that and wind up making love afterward. Like I thought that was incredible. The truth is that I know that look, Kendall is an incredible character, all the characters you could, we could talk for an hour just on Jerry. I mean, all of them, but I think that, Part of what we're talking about when we talk about succession is that every time there's a scene, um, they make the most of it with that character. That character is going someplace, even if the narrative itself isn't. And in the case of, of Tom and Shiv, it, it's just beautiful. I mean, it is just, it, I mean, it's horrific for, for, for a lot of us to, to, to watch. But, you know, when she, when they, when they were trying to do, you know, she said, tell me anything you want. And he looks and he goes, well, you better tell me. I mean, you tell me. He just had no gas in the tank for that moment. And then, of course, she takes it and runs with it. And the next morning, he's like a deer in headlights. He was like, that was pretty salty stuff, you know, because she basically said, and I don't love you. I mean, it's like, of course, everybody uses that as foreplay.
0: (laughs) Hot and bothered. We'll use rejection. That'll be great. Uh, number two, you've got incredible. I mean, all the bells say, which is season three, episode nine, Tom's betrayal, which was just so brilliantly crafted. And number one, nobody's ever missing season one, episode ten, as you said, Kendall's own private chapacuittic, which ingeniously builds to a hug between Logan and Kendall, the likes of which we haven't seen since Michael Corleone embraced Fredo after their mother died. That's what I wanted to get to you with. I know the King Lear. Illusions, obviously, tragedy, father passing on his family. But there's a lot of Godfather here. When Tom, that betrayal, the shot through the doorway, you're thinking of Kay Adams and Michael, the ending of Godfather 1. And that hug, as you mentioned, that's a brilliant reference. It's Michael and Fredo. Like it, You can feel the chills in that moment.
3: Well, also the way that they shot it because, I mean, Gordon Willis, the way I, you're seeing Michael hug Fredo, but then all of a sudden it tilts, and he's got this acknowledgement that, okay, remember we talked, when Mama's gone, Fredo's gone, and it's just I, I mean, it's just beautiful. It's beautiful.
0: Uh, have you seen all of this season of Succession? I don't know if you've got an advanced no, copy no no, or no, 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 not the whole, okay. no, right. no, not the whole so so You're being...
3: No, I, I, being I think a, the most that they've given out is, maybe somebody hasn't, uh, but yeah. no, it's four, four episodes.
0: I love the fact they're ending it now, right? Go out on a high rather than, leave them wanting more rather than playing out the last stretch like Willie Mays' final season. Like, I I think it's so, HBO should be lauded more than anything. I'm sure you could speak to this. I'm sure Casey Blois was like, what does it take? We'll give you a a carload, truckload full of money to keep this thing going. It's a Best Show Intelligent Emmy Award winner. For HBO to tell Jesse whatever you want to do and for him to step away now, I, I think it's so commendable.
3: Yeah, look, I think HBO again. This is part of its value proposition with creators, right? Because they do, they are so uh, hospitable, for lack of a better friend. But this is, this happened with Game of Thrones, obviously. You know, Richard Plepler was you know got knee pads and begged for you know another season, another episode, another three seasons, another whatever. And uh, you know the guys weren't having it. I think that. Um, it's better to... You, you don't want to put a creator in a writer's room through another season. Nobody's going to do that for money. I mean, these guys are making enough money, or the, these men and women are. Um, and you just hope that they have maybe a finale like Six Feet Under in them. Um, or I would add The Sopranos. Uh, yes. Not Game of Thrones, but, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I think that now we now we become now we pull out from succession and and we now talk as we're watching these episodes about where succession winds up in in the kind of HBO hall of fame because how they navigate this last season is going to be uh i think really important in terms of its legacy obviously and uh you know uh, look i don't i don't know many people who thought that season three was the best season of Succession, but I think it's off to a really strong start in season four. And you just, because we love the show, we're rooting for it and we want it to be the the best that it can be. Jesse has said that toward sometime in season two, he started to think about how it all came together, like David Chase, who had him in his mind early on, a thought about how Sopranos could end. And um, so it's not going to be something that's capricious or, you know, that was rushed out. So, you know, can't, can't wait
0: couple more on success, and then we'll, we'll pivot to air, which you have seen the new Ben Affleck, Matt Damon film. I'm going to go see it this Thursday, which is actually on opening day. Have you been as amused as I have, Jim, by the back and forth of Brian Cox and Jeremy Strong? Brian Cox, completely lambasting method acting. Jeremy Strong saying he's earned the right to say whatever he wants, but this is my style. And Brian Cox saying he's a wonderful actor, but I get tired of that shit. I, I, I have been very amused by both these guys being very candid while being respectful.
3: Yeah, I was lucky enough to interview both of them for the book. Um, they're both uh, they're both very, very convincing when they talk about their own processes. But suffice it to say, it's oil and water for the two of them, which, by the way, I think makes sense. It's great. I'm glad they're talking like that. Somehow it makes everything going on the screen even more real. Right, like you know what I, I mean. I, like if if they were like hugging it out and saying, "Oh yeah, we you know we we go together like uh, you know like two fish in a pot." It's that's it doesn't make sense. I mean, Jeremy has been known back and even back going back to Yale to have a certain kind of approach to it. I think he's married to a shrink, and uh, so you got that going for you, which is nice. <laughs>
0: Ah, exactly. Great reference to Caddyshack. Um this popped in my head, and i will going to get to air. But I was watching John Wick 4, and I'm watching Ian McShane. And he's such a great actor, Jim, but I can never get Al Swearingen out of my head. And I was saying to a friend of mine, I said, you know, that is a top five HBO character. But Deadwood, as much as I loved it, I know you appreciated the great writing of David Milch. That show isn't viewed at the same tier as The Sopranos or Six Feet Under or a Mad Men or Breaking Bad. But McShane's work as Swearingen to me, like that is a Hall of Fame character. And the writing, it's so... It's so unmistakably David Milch, which is to say he's mixing the profane and the poetic. Like, sometimes you look at an actor, you go, I can't I can't escape that role. As good as an actor is, I'm telling you, even I don't know how much Deadwood you rewatched while writing the book, but Al Swearingen to me is an all-time character and an all-time performance.
3: Yeah, I mean, it was incredible performance. And David Milch is, I mean, he is the varsity man. He is just so good, uh, even on things that, didn't wind up being successful you could you can see his brilliance the the problem with deadwood was that it had this kind of truncated ending um there was not a lot of great communication going on and i think fans were burned but character wise just just terrific and one of the certainly one of the great characters to come out of hbo
0: yeah. Air is in theaters next Friday. Ben Affleck, Matt Damon reuniting. I'm hearing lots of buzz around Chris Tucker, Violet Davis, Jason Bateman. I'm hoping to get Marlon Wayans here in Cinephile. You've seen it, Jim. What did you think?
3: I think, uh, well, I, I, made, <laughs> I tweeted, I said, no offense, but I wish Ben hadn't done Batman and directed a couple more movies instead during those years, because he is a great director, and you're reminded of it in there. I mean, Argo obviously, but The Town is one of yeah. my favorites. And right. and there every performance in this movie is just stellar. Every performance. It, it's funny because, you know, he went and talked to Michael Jordan. I guess they spent an afternoon together and to get his blessing. And Ben was clear about the fact that he wasn't going to do it if Michael didn't want to do it. And Thank God, Michael Jordan is as, as smart as he is because he he said to Ben, "Well, there's only one person to play my mom, which is Viola Davis," and yeah. uh, and which made it easy for Ben, right? Because he doesn't have to go to Viola Davis and say, "Listen, I'd like you in this movie." He would say, "Michael Jordan wants you in this movie." Yeah, I, <laughs> parentheses. I dare you to say no. Um, right. You know, but she is. Uh, she is. Beyond compelling, she is brilliant in this movie, and Matt Damon. I, look, it's weird to think because it's only March; uh, it will be April when it's officially out. But there's going to be a bunch of nominations for this movie, without a doubt. Matt Damon's going to get a nomination. This movie's going to get nominated, uh, you know. And it's it does a great job of capturing like the verisimilitude of the '80s. It's infused right from the beginning. And you're sucked into that time and you, you know, it's just, it's really smart. And Ben plays Phil Knight and it's not, it's not a one dimensional kind of take on him. He's a complicated guy. I was really curious to see how they were going to do that. Um, and I think that uh, all the characters, I mean, everybody's performances, uh, it, it's just a hell of a movie. I hate saying I hate being so nice about something but <laughs> um no it really it's really it's 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 a great achievement.
0: You can't wield your, your scathing sword right now as a critic. You just—you actually were enraptured by the movie, and I like the point you made about the nominations because I'm like you. I'll see a film and go, "Wow, well, it was really well done," but it's too early in the Oscars season. It's got to come out in September, October. But now everything ever all at once—that changed things. Like mean, That was a late March, April release, and it won everything. So now you can watch a movie and go, "Yeah, that's going to get nominated." I can see that film having some legs. I mean, that's awesome the definition
3: of a, of success—is how something does at the Oscars. I just mean right. though that the. Yeah. The caliber of the performances. I mean, Chris Tucker. It's so good to see him again, and <laughs> some of the lines. I, I just his pacing, the staccato uh, approach. There, there were moments in Silver Linings Playbook when uh, Chris Tucker was was with Bradley Cooper. You just it was just so real. It just doesn't feel like a script. It doesn't feel like a set. He's just yeah. so unbelievably. Um, uh, he, he just captures you right away. And he does it again in this movie.
0: I can't wait to see it air. I'm going to be checking it out this Thursday again. It's in theaters, April 5th. Last one, since Jim brought up silver linings playbook, for those who are not aware, he and I are both ardent Philadelphia Eagles fans. He was there with his beloved son at the super bowl in Arizona. You know, Ryan Russillo was talking about it, Jimmy. He goes, well, at least you got one. I said, yeah, but like, I want more. Like, 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 this was quite possibly the greatest Eagles team we've ever seen. We had a 10-point lead at the half. He said, yeah, but Mahomes did Mahomes thing. I said, yeah, but it's still painful. Like, it's painful to me. It's painful to you. What was it like for you being at the stadium and seeing our guys unfortunately fall?
3: I, I don't remember uh, telling you that you could bring me to tears. in the, in the <laughs> No, look, I mean, the truth is that Andy Reid had a better halftime than Rihanna. I mean, they're just... <laughs> He, they came out, you know, we're right there, and it's just whatever they – did they drug our defense? Did they – I mean, like – One stop. Make one stop. Couldn't just, do it. Please, God. I mean – and it, by the way, a defense that we had celebrated all year. Right. It was, Number one pass
0: defense. Oh, my God. They're going to shut down Mahomes. I,
3: I want to no. check. I want to check all the fluids that they gave our defense <laughs> at halftime because there's something in there. Um, it was – It was, it was brutal. It was brutal. And I mean, look, that's what sports is, but you feel so good at halftime. And the one thing I will say though, um, look, I love our defense and I thank them for a great season, but uh, it was a tough second half, but Jalen hurts, man. For all those people who were trying to get us to trade up for, you know, a bigger name quarterback and whatever. I, I can't remember a guy that young coming through for a team like that, um, you know. Obviously, Mahomes, but I, for uh, in terms of the Eagles, uh, we found our guy, and yes. we went through many years. It was like a ground war in Southeast Asia trying to figure <laughs> out what the heck we we're going to do. And we got we got a guy who used to squat 600 pounds in college, who yeah. is a true leader, who loves the city, who loves his teammates, who has low levels of ego and paranoia. God forbid. And he's not going to be going off to some tent to think about his future or something like that. You know, I mean, he's just amazing. And I I felt if there was, you know, when we were leaving the stadium, I just felt if nothing else, though, um, we have we have our you know, we have our guy for many years. He just he just had a fantastic
0: season. Yeah, there's no question about it. He he over. I think he overdelivered, right? Even even the most ardent Jalen Hurts fan was not expecting us to be in the Super Bowl and for him to play the game of his life. He could not have been better and obviously some changes. We lost our safeties, lost our linebackers, but I, I think Howie Roseman will try to get things done. Let's be honest. The NFC is not a very strong conference. Aaron Rodgers is going to be with the Jets soon, so I still like our chances coming out of the NFC East and beyond. Uh, James Andrew Miller, he's the best. Uh, as always, you can check out his books, Tinderbox, which was his outstanding book in HBO, the paperback he's working on. We'll make that up to uh, 1,200, 250 pages if we can. Those guys, <laughs> of all the fun, his work out of USPN, live from New York on SNL, of course, CAA. Jim, I feel like I should get more Sopranos work out of you. Every time I see you, I want a Sopranos story, but uh, a, I appreciate the, gift, the ins- keeps
3: giving. <laughs> sopranos yeah. is the best.
0: Oh, it is the best. And, that's, and again, I don't want to be that hater, but when someone said to me, Succession could be the greatest show ever, and I said, you can't beat the Sopranos. All right? That's just... It might be number two, but it's not going to beat the Sopranos.
3: Well... Uh, yeah.
0: It's yeah. Yeah,
3: just... <laughs> How about those Knicks? No, uh, I don't. I, I don't know about greatest show ever, but um, it's certainly they certainly have delivered for HBO and for us.
0: Yeah, no question. Great to see you, Jim. Hey, thanks so much for having me. All right, thank you so much once again to Jim, to Chris, Cody, the entire crew. Cody had a busy day today. We had some college today in the Levittars show. Like you were scrambling today, right? Everything uh, okay?
1: I'm in. The, I was in the the EP seat, you know, with uh, Mike being out of town. This week. well, he came in <laughs> for the local hour on Monday just yes, because he wanted sure to was. get excited. But he's gone the rest of the week. So yeah, man, we're just we like to you know musical chairs here. We, we like to a little fire drill, make sure everybody can handle all the seats, but. You know, they, they act like that's a big seat. I got this. They can't phase me. I mean, maybe I pushed the, the wrong button a couple times, but that ends up being a funnier segment. You know I mean? It's one of those things. I'm like the Stugats. Even when I make mistakes, it ends up being funny. So it's like, I can't lose.
0: Exactly. If I do a good job, I'm supposed to do a good job. If yeah. I screw up, well, I'm supposed to screw up. So I went either way.
1: The only time I lose is when I just don't watch movies on this podcast.
0: Yeah, that <laughs> happens sometimes. But that's also part of your charm. Everyone's like, that's kind of a shtick, right? He doesn't know the movies. I'm like, yeah. What a
1: shtick I have. It's just, nope, I haven't seen it.
0: And and happy trails to our buddy, Chris Whittingham, who who tweeted out he's going to be stepping back from his role in metal. I texted him. I said, what does this mean? He said, I'm going to be doing more play-by-play stuff. So he won't be on the show as frequently. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, he'll
1: still be around. He'll probably pop up on Mystery Crates and stuff. We can get him on here if we ever want him. But it's just he just, you know, it's his goal in life is to be, you know, Bob Costas of soccer. So... He just wanted to focus on that, and he realized that, oh, doing two of these jobs
0: at once is hard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Two full-time jobs, not great. We love Witty. He's a, he's a passionate uh, follower of Cinephile. We'll have him on the podcast. I mean, we had him on talking James Bond, I believe, mm-hmm. last year. So we'll, we'll have Witty at some point. Uh, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Once again, Apple Podcast, subscribe, rate, and review. Opening day, Major League Baseball. I'll see you at 6 on Thursday. And until then, I'll see you at the movies.